Sorry about that. Contrary to what you might think, we are not in Psalms today. We're in Genesis. I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 31 today. Thank you, John, for reading for us. So let me ask uh, you guys a question. How many of you have ever wanted to go viral? Do you know what going viral means? Not like uh, spreading the virus. Um, many of us did go viral, didn't we? Uh, no, uh, it means it's what happens when on social media you either make a post or you post a picture or a video and it gets shared uh, very rapidly by uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And so in that instance, uh, you, you, you go viral, you spread like a virus and you become an internet sensation. Uh, usually it's something funny or, or cool or, or fun. Sometimes it's not great if you, if you go viral uh, for uh, some reason. But anyway, uh, for some people, going viral is kind of like what they want to happen. It seems like a dream. And so that's what happened to this guy named Ted Williams. I don't know if you've ever heard the name Ted Williams. Uh, he also is known as the man with a golden voice. So back in 2011, uh, Ted Williams was a homeless guy living on the streets in Columbus, Ohio, uh, when somebody took a video of him. Uh, and what he would do is, is uh, he would stand in a corner, much like you would see someone in Springfield today holding a sign. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, it said like basically like, for cash, I will um, um, say something, you know, with my with my voice or something like that. So this guy rolls up with his phone, rolls down his window, and is like, "Hey, man, I want to I want to hear you say something with your voice." And so, lo and behold, this really kind of rundown, homeless-looking guy has this amazing radio announcer TV show voice, and I mean, like, it's really amazing. Like, this is WKY Nine Three, and it's like, whoa! Like, you're like listening uh, to someone who's on TV. In fact, you can still find the video on YouTube. It has over 6 million views. So the problem, as you can imagine, uh, is that fame and money are not all that they're cracked up to be. Uh, from the latest I read, uh, Ted Williams, 10 years later, still through the earth, has struggled with alcoholism and drug abuse. Uh, and, and the latest I read, I don't know if it's entirely accurate or not, but uh, he's still homeless. Uh, uh, he still doesn't have a house of his own. He was living in an apartment of a friend or, or something like that. So not exactly on the streets, but still. Uh, and in fact, uh, the fame and the wealth that came so rapidly to him in, in many ways made things uh, worse. In fact, in one interview a few years ago, he said, sometimes I wish I had never gone viral. It's really interesting, isn't it? And, and we often, even like if you've been raised in church and you hear your whole life, the love of money is the root of all evil, we still have this human tendency to imagine that the most powerful, the most wealthy is having the most freedom. I mean, and, and it kind of makes sense. So like, uh, it, like the, the most wealthy, right? You, if, like, you, it's like, I, I want to go fishing, so I'm just going to pay money to, to go fishing or go hunting or, I, I don't know, <laughs> maybe wealthy people don't want to do those things. But you see my point, right? So in reality, though, like wealth, more wealth and, and more fame and more power actually shackle us. In other words, you can have wealth and fame and power, but those things won't give you freedom. 
no matter how much of them you have. You could come across $1 million today and you wouldn't be an ounce freer. I, I would like to come across a million dollars, right? I, I, if, if that happens, praise God, right? But I'm not going to be an ounce freer. So what, what is true freedom? Where does true freedom come from? Contrary to what we believe, freedom isn't being able to make the greatest number of choices or being able to do what we want, kind of whenever we want. Freedom is, is really being able to rest secure. It's when all the things of the world, riches and possessions, the, the favor of man, can be snatched away from you and you never really truly suffer loss, if that makes sense. And Scripture, I'm happy to say, gives us the answer to where that kind of freedom is found. In the favor of God. The favor of God frees us. It's so freeing. The favor of God is so freeing. This is Scripture's grand promise, and this is what I'm here to tell you today. The favor of God is so freeing that you can give up your entire life because of it. In this week's text, as we'll see, Jacob falls out of favor with man. He falls out of favor with Laban, where, where we've been the past few weeks. But he remains in favor with God. And in this way, we see three ways that the favor of God frees us. So uh, I sent out an email, put a Facebook post. Uh, I'm not going to read this whole chapter because it's long. It's a long chapter and that would take up precious time where I could talk more. Uh, and so I'm going to read the first three verses, which uh, gives us a great uh, kind of summary, a synopsis of this chapter. And it's, that will be on the screen as well. So chapter 31, starting in verse 1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So in this chapter, Jacob finally has enough of Laban, and God tells Jacob to flee, and so he decides to flee. And and in the, the like I said, in these first three verses, we get the theme uh, for the entire chapter. Jacob has fallen out of favor with Laban, but he's in favor with God, which is where I get this uh, title for the sermon: "Out of favor with man, favor." in favor with God. Isn't that great how that works out? But what we see in this chapter is that the favor of God is all that we need. And first, the favor of God frees us to live with loss. Now, the reason, the whole reason that there's tension between Laban and Laban's sons and Jacob in the first place is that Jacob, uh, in fact, has gained quite a bit. He's, he's quite wealthy, isn't he? So, uh, he, he's wealthy, and, and Laban's wealth has decreased. And, and Laban's whole family is upset about it. And that's, like as we're reading this, that, that's not exactly lost, is it? It's, it's gain. That's great. But what I want you to see, and what I think we're in, it being invited to see, is Jacob's growing family, as well as his growing possessions and growing flock, as signs of God's favor in contrast to what he's losing. All right, that's what we're invited to see. This is a sign of God's favor in Jacob's life in contrast to what he's lo losing, leaving behind. 
Remember that weird thing that Jacob did with all his sheep last chapter? Putting the sticks in front of them so that they would breed? Well, turns out that's not because Jacob's a, like a super good farmer or anything. Turns out it's because of God's favor. So we read in verse 5 of chapter 31. And uh, Jacob said to his wives, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. And so he goes on to explain how all that Jacob has accomplished has been because God has been with him. God has favored him. But one thing, so he's gained all this because of God's favor, right? God's favor is on Jacob. If, if, if you have doubt about anything, don't have doubt about that. God's favor is on Jacob. Okay, but one thing that he is losing is the is he's losing the favor of man. He's out of favor with Laban and Laban's family, even Rachel and Leah. Right, his own daughter is going to say if if you look down at verse fourteen, then Rachel and Leah answered him and said to him, "Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money." So, so this first part of this chapter is illustrating how Jacob and his family have fallen out of favor with man. And this is important because if there's one thing humans love, it's the favor of man. Man, do we love man's favor? And in high school, we call it peer pressure. right? You want to stay in favor with the crowd or with the group, so you do ridiculous things. Right, or you, uh, whatever, in front of your peers, so that you stay in favor with them. Uh, one thing I, I regret immensely uh, is joining with a bunch of guys when I was in Boy Scouts to torment and bully another kid that was a little bit different. I gave in to peer pressure, and I wanted to be in favor with this other crowd. And and while the crowd changes, right, it's one one way in high school, uh, and it's another way in adulthood. That that desire for man's favor doesn't change. That, that desire goes with us. So, I mean, just think about our culture. There's immense pressure to stay in favor with your group. And so we see this actually on both sides of the spectrum. On the left, it's agreeing with every progressive point, right? Isn't it? I mean, you see this. Like, if you fall out of line on anything, you're out. This is, this is one reason, and there are a number, why 30%, I mean, that's 30% of Generation Z identify as LGBTQ. Right, A lot of that, it's not the only reason, but a lot of that has to do with the peer pressure, the favor of being in the group. But hey, don't hear me wrong, this happens on the left, it happens on the right too. And especially if you agree with all the political points right, that, uh, that are on the right side here. Right? If, if you don't agree with this political point, this political point, this political point, well you're out. Right? Whether it's guns or vaccines or Anthony Fauci. <laughs> I'm surprised Jerry didn't look up when I said Anthony Fauci earlier. Right? Uh, so uh, all sorts of stuff. Right? So, so the, my point is to show that there is no side or, or group that's immune to this kind of seeking favor with man and, and going along just so that we keep man's favor. Right? And, and it, I mean, that's just culture, right? There's pressure among friends so that we stay in their favor, right? So uh, maybe, like, we cuss when we shouldn't because every guys we're hanging out with are cussing or we gossip. Uh, we know we shouldn't gossip, but we, we gossip because our, our friends are doing it or, or we go against our conscience in some way. We know we shouldn't, but, man, I, like, these people that we like are doing it, so we want to stay in favor with them. Um, a pressure at work to cheat or cut corners to win the favor of our boss. 
Or it could be just performative, right? You wear your nicest things and you get all dressed up or act a certain way or act very spiritual just so people will notice you. It's trying to win the favor of man. In any case, the contrast in this chapter illustrates how worthless the favor of man is. Right? The favor of man is bankrupt, but the favor of God is rich. Do you see that contrast? In, in Jacob's case, it's quite literal. Right? The favor of man, it would leave Jacob bankrupt, but the favor of God leaves him rich. In, in our case, it's deeper. It goes deeper. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. Go figure that Jesus would say this in a really great way. It's supposed to be a little chuckle or something here. I'm sorry. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Alright? To win their favor. If you do, you will have no reward. So you will be bankrupt. You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men, to be favored by them. And this is what he said. He said something really interesting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. In other words, the reward they get is nothing but emptiness. And they have all of that that they could ever hope to get. It's a pretty lousy reward. In contrast, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then, then guess what? Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The favor of God, in other words, not only rewards us now, but promises reward for the future. That's Paul uses exercise to kind of illustrate this, right? You, it, with exercise, you get the immediate reward of, of hopefully improved mental health, right? I exercise consistently because if not, I would go to dark and lonely places. I have to exercise to keep this thing uh, doing okay, right? It's not okay all the time, but it helps. And and hopefully, hopefully the promise of being healthier as I age, right? I, I already have a Sunday to Saturday pillbox. Right, I don't want to have to get like three or four of those, okay? But even that's not a guarantee. You, you can exercise your whole life and still drop dead when you're 50 or whatever, okay? However, God is extravagant with his promises. He's unashamed to, to promise ex, like extravagant benefit now and unimaginative benefit in the future. He, he, he said so in John 10.10. I have come that they may have life, and have it abundantly. When we truly grasp the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, all else loses its luster, even the favor of man. So set your heart to enjoy God's favor for you in Christ. Set your heart to enjoy it. And it frees you to live with loss. Now, there, there's an expression, and the older I get, the more I realize how untrue it is. Uh, it goes like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I mean, my goodness, what a lie. Right? 
the, the whole reason we use sticks and stones is because of words, right? Like, what people don't, I mean, I don't know, I've never seen a fight where, like, a guy just goes up to another guy and punches him for no reason. Usually there's words that, that are exchanged first. I mean, so, it, it, if, so that's a lie. Uh, but if I could modify that expression, I would add something about making words hard to stick. So the words might be hurtful, but there's nothing quite like letting uh, words roll off of you, is there? My worst moments are when I let someone's words get to me and I uh, retaliate in kind, especially in my marriage. But that's what integrity does, right? Integrity makes words and accusations hard to stick. They get thrown at you, but they just slide off like, like wax on a car. And this is our second point. The favor of God frees us to live with integrity. I have to be honest here. There's enough going on in this chapter. And to try to figure out the relationship between Jacob and Laban without someone coming in and doing something ridiculous. But that's exactly what happens, okay? In verse 17, Jacob's like, all right, let's go, wives and family and sons and possessions. And, uh, they leave, and what in the world? Why? Verse 19, Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. I mean, at this point in Genesis, I'm like, can we go one chapter without like our heroes doing something crazy? This, this is one reason why I love the Bible. It, it shows human nature as it truly is. Insane. We, we learn what not to do as often as we learn what to do from a lot of biblical heroes, don't we? Now, I don't want to pretend like I know what's going on uh, in Rachel's head. Perhaps like she thought they were some kind of charm, these household gods, whatever they were. When Mal and I were in Lesotho, Africa, you would see the people wearing either beaded bracelets or like a beaded uh, belt around their waist. And it wasn't just for decoration, but their charms to ward off bad spirits or, or bad luck or, or what have you. In fact, um, lightning strikes were a common cause of death in Lesotho because they're in the mountains and they would often wear these beads to uh, not get struck by lightning. And that, that could be what Rachel was thinking, that there's some kind of charm. Or it could be she was trying to uh, spite her father. So, so he truly leaves his daughter with nothing so she wants to be sure that he really has nothing himself and so she takes these precious household gods of his and i just want to make something plain the favor of god does not give us permission to sin you see rachel had everything she needed we saw uh chapter two ago she had her husband's love she was her husband's first love. She, her husband was growing wealthy. I'm sure he gave her like a nice sheep coat. Right? She had a growing family and even God's favor, but all of that still was not enough. And there's, there's two things that need to be said about this. One is that she was not trusting in God's sustaining sovereignty that God provides for His people constantly consistently and faithfully. The irony is that something really, really similar to this happens later on in the Old Testament. 
the, the Israelites are, are out of Egypt. Exodus has happened. Joshua is leading them to conquest the promised land. And one of the first cities, God says, destroy everything. Don't even take any articles or possessions. And this guy named Achan thinks he knows better. He sees some beautiful objects and beautiful possessions and takes them, to him, to, uh, takes them for himself, tries to hide them. They find out, and, and, and Achan is destroyed, right? The wrath of God is ignited, and, and Achan is destroyed because he disobeyed God's voice. And here's a double irony. The very next chapter, the very next city that they conquer, God says, take whatever you want. So if Achan had trusted God, he would be, he would be alive, and he would have a lot of cool stuff. All Achan had to do was trust. And, and, and so any Israelite reading this would, and be like, oh man, like Ra- Ra- Rachel's done messed up. But second, we should never ever give ourselves permission to sin, even though we believe in the extravagant and forgiving favor of God. John is helpful here. First John chapter two, verse one. My children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Don't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So in any case, uh, Laban finds out Jacob is leaving. And uh, he pursues and, and catches up with Jacob. Much like sin does to us. Sin will always pursue and sin will always catch up. And even though Rachel kind of gets off in this case, uh, sin will always destroy. And Laban's real concerned, right? He's like, you, you left. Laban's like, I would have sent you off with a party and with singing. And, and if, if you're Jacob, you're like, no, you wouldn't have. Like, uh, it's like, I've tried to leave like eight times now. And, and every time you like trick me into staying or what have you, you, you made me stay. And so, yeah, I, I think we're to take this just as a lie, right? Laban, Laban's like, I would have, we would have celebrated and we would have had a party. I know you wouldn't have, but, but Laban's real concern comes out in verse 30. Now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Jacob, he replies there uh, in verse uh, 31 and 32, well, if anyone has, I, no one has stolen them, but if anyone has, well, they're, they shall be put to death. So Laban goes to Rachel's tent, and then in verse 34 there, you know, Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. The irony is that um, with the Israelites reading this later on, they would well remember Achan's story, and, and actually many others, right, where people try to steal when they shouldn't or hide when they shouldn't. They know that this does not turn out well. And, and, and Rachel has to hide in order to save her life. And, and the whole point is that Rachel shouldn't have to hide. This is why integrity is so freeing. Integrity means, like, it's the same root word, an integrated life. When you're integrated, you're put together. You're, you're whole. You're, you're the same person in private as you are in public. You're the same person with this group of people or as you are with this group of people. You're a whole, put-together person. We're, we're not trying to hide anything. We don't, we're not trying to 
fear of being found out. We're not trying to mask ourselves. And when we live this way, accusations no longer stick. This is what Scripture means by blameless. Not that we never sin, but that we're open and honest and repentant about all aspects of our lives before God. And it is freeing. It's so freeing. This, uh, we're talking about um, freedom being like having as many options as you want. That's not freedom. A fish is most free when it's in water. You take a fish out of water, he, he can't do anything. He's going to die. He's free when he's in the bounds that God created him to be. And it's the same for us. And when we are securing God's favor, living in integrity is an overflow of that. Because God, it's like God knows who I am. Are you a, am I a sinner? Worse, worse than you guys know. And I'd say the same is true for you. You're a worse sinner than I know. Through the favor of God, we can live whole, integral lives. And that is where freedom is found. Finally, the favor of God frees us to live without fear. Jacob, you know, really, um, we haven't had a lot of chapters where Jacob really looks great, have we? Like In all the chapters, he's kind of come out Kind of looking like a dog a little bit, right? He's, he's like, oh man, I, I don't know if I want to emulate Jacob. But in this chapter, he uh, he does pretty well. Like he has this trust in God, uh, and even though we we do see this trust in God, he his faith does falter a little bit. And I want to show you. When Laban asked him, "Why did you run?" Jacob answers his first answer in verse thirty-one, because I was afraid. And here I just want to offer an encouragement really quickly. Jacob leaves Laban on the one hand. We're, we're told because God told him to leave. Get up, take your stuff, and go back to the promised land. But on the other hand, he was afraid, so he left. In other words, what's happening is Jacob's motives and his faith were mixed. And just like Jacob, we don't have perfect motives. Like even when we want to repent of our sin, our motives are not pure. And our faith is not entirely pure. We're, we're mixed up with sin, but guess what? We can have true faith no matter how mixed up it might be at times. But there is an there's Bible is full of irony, and there's another irony in this chapter. Right after Jacob says, I was afraid, uh, God is called, he's named, uh, called by the name fear twice in this chapter. So uh, I just want to point those out to you real quick. In verse 42, Jacob is, uh, we'll get to this, but he's kind of talking about, I've, I've done all this, I'm, I'm innocent. And then he says in verse 42, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. And again, in verse 53, the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Now, some of us have pet names for our spouses, or we have had pet names. I don't know, maybe there will come a time when you just like, call her names because you're tired of the pet name deal. But one of my pet names for Mallory is Babe. Call her Babe. 
But when I call her by her maiden name, let's say Mallory Mae Williams, she knows something is up, right? Something is wrong. Up to this point, God has been called by many different names. But fear hasn't been one of them. And now, in the same chapter, he has called that twice. That tells us something's up. Whoa, whoa, what's what's happening here? And I think we could say a number of things about this. Um, But I think the primary point that's being made is that while Jacob does fear the power of Laban, ultimately he's showing that God is his greatest fear. We've talked about this before, but the fear of God is not a cowering, servile fear, but a holy recognition that God is God and we are sinful man. But as there's a little bit more to it than that, because we're not just, God is not just God and we're not just sinful creatures. In Christ, we're redeemed creatures. And when God is our fear, Right, it, as his redeemed people, when he is our fear, we understand that our final vindication comes from here, comes from him. That's that's the exact context in here. Uh, Laban is searching the tents, and Jacob, for all he knows, he's innocent. He's he's innocent of all these actions. In fact, he's done all these things right. And and so in verse thirty six, Jacob said to Laban, "What is my offense? What is my sin that you have pursued me, Jacob?" becomes angry and he lets loose on Laban. He's done everything for Laban and more. And at the end of the day, as Jacob says, it is God who has vindicated Jacob. Church, there are plenty of things in this world where we want or will want vindication. All right? Uh, Whether it's vindication against culture or vindication against the wealthy and the powerful and how they might exploit us or maybe vindication against bosses. Disney ruined Star Wars and one day God will right all wrongs in the end. Amazon is ruining Lord of the Rings and God, oh man, God is going to bring His fury down on Amazon. You can still order from Amazon. We still do. But we're, we're free, listen, we're free to rest in the fact that final vindication belongs with God and that He will bring right and truth to light in the end. Therefore, we're told in places like Hebrews, for we know Him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. You see that Fearing the wrongs or the wrath of people is, is bondage. And, and I, we know our culture's wrath. Our culture is a very wrathful place right now. And there's lots and lots and lots of wrath out there for all kinds of transgressions. But the favor of God frees us from fear because we know that the wrath of man has limits. The wrath of man cannot go one step farther than God has permitted it to go. If God can tell the seas beyond this line you shall not cross, then surely He can tell the wrath of man beyond this line you shall not cross. Laban says another ironic thing here. Look at verse uh, 29. He actually makes a threat. 
it is in my power to do you harm. And Laban believes that. I think Laban truly believes that he has power to do Jacob harm. But I think as readers, we're supposed to think, I think we're supposed to be like, no, he doesn't. We know that's not entirely true. God has placed his favor on Jacob. He's blessed him. He's protected him. And now he's vindicating him. And so Laban, we know that Laban would have no power to harm Jacob unless God permitted him to do so. You know, Pontius Pilate said something similar. In John 19, Jesus is not talking. He's not talking to Pilate. Not raising his defense, not trying to vindicate himself. Pilate's asked Jesus, do, do you not know that I have the authority to release you or to crucify you? That's Laban speaking thousands of years later. But this time, the sinless son of God answers. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Church, it is because Jesus laid down his authority to be crucified that we can rest with absolute certainty in the favor of God. By faith in Christ Jesus, you have the favor of God forever. And there is no evil, no suffering, no trial that has authority over you apart from the loving hand of a favoring father. Do you think at this point in Jesus' life the father favored his son any less? How much more is his favor upon you through him? The father will not grant his favor Apart from His Son, Jesus Christ, He will give it fully, He will give it freely, and He will give it forever, but only in faith and repentance to His Son. And that favor frees us. For some of you, it's finding that favor for the first time. Turn and repent and put your trust in Christ, but even for us Christians, it's, it's just returning. Returning to the place of our favor. God says, it's, it's right here. It's always here. The foot of the cross. I, I did this for you. I did this. Receive it. Rest in it. Be free by my favor. Let's respond to him this morning. Father God, often we confess we do not comprehend what it means to have your favor. We are dull creatures. Our loves go astray. Our faith falters. But God, nothing can replace the awesome truth that you, the holy, infinite God, favor us, sinful, wayward creatures in Christ. You favor us. You chose to favor us. You freely favor us. You shower us with favor. Before our heads hit the pillow, before they come up out of bed, you shower us with favor. And it's all through what you have already accomplished in Christ. 
We can't earn more of your favor by, by our righteous deeds, and we can't lose your favor by sin. What, what a precious truth this is. Yet, God, may we use your favor for freedom and not, not for bondage. May we use your everlasting favor to live in holiness and in the freedom of integrity, the freedom of being secure, the freedom of living in the fear of your name. God, we pray that for those who do not know the freedom of your favor, that they would find that through faith in Christ Jesus. Apply your word to our hearts by your spirit, Father. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.